Come on, we're on our third week of our rich series. I want to read this scripture to you, then give you my opening address, and then I will pray and we'll move forward. Come on. I'm in 1 Timothy, the sixth chapter, the 17th verse. We've been on this verse now for three weeks. This will be our third week. And Paul writes this. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their, somebody say hope, in wealth, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in, somebody say God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous, willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they might take hold of the life that is truly, somebody say truly, life. Dear Heavenly Father, we just pray right now. As you've been evident in our worship service, we thank you for those, God, who raised their hand and say, you know what, I want Jesus in my heart, in my life. But as we move forward, God, that we would open up the soil of our hearts that we would receive from you. That you would speak truth to us that would resonate in our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church shouts. Over the course of the last few weeks, we've been on this amazing Rich series. And the first week, we found out some of the greatest news ever. What was that news? We're rich. (laughs) We are absolutely rich. Not just according to just American standards, but on a global standard, we are rich. And so we began to look at what Paul says to rich people, amen? What our responsibility should be and what we should be doing. Paul, in this first epistle of Timothy in chapter 6, he declares that we should be generous and willing to share. Among the commands that Paul gives the church is the command to be generous. And I want to speak to you today on the spirit of generosity. Look to your neighbor and say the spirit of generosity. I want to talk to you today about what generosity looks like in action. What the scripture says about being generous with what God has given us. The word generous is defined in this capacity. Showing the readiness to give more of something, such as money or time, more than is expected of one. And so Paul says to give generously. In other words, to do more than is expected of you. You should write that down. That God expects me to give more than what man would expect of me. To give more than what we are called to do. Because God can do more with more. Somebody say amen. That makes a lot of sense. I spent a whole week on that one line. I'm just kidding. Amen. God can do more when people offer more before God. Generous, more than what is expected. In this time, Paul's been addressing these people who are poor, and then he desired to address the rich, and he, he's addressing them now, and he's saying, listen, you rich people, you should go beyond what is expected of you. You people who have a little extra, you should do more than what is expected of you. Maybe, maybe you're not rich in money today, you say to yourself, but you're rich in time. You should give more time to God, more time to the kingdom, to do more than what is expected of you, the command to be generous. What is your mindset when it comes to giving? 
What is your mindset when it comes to giving in church? Some here today view it as optional. Some might do it occasionally, and some we might give in relationship to what we have left over or what we think you can afford. Many people give to God based on affordability rather than accountability. Affordability says what I can give at a certain time. Accountability says what I can give as God commands. Big difference. To give affordably or accountably. Most people have this one lie, and I I, I desire today to dispel this lie, that if I had more, I would give more. That is one of the greatest lies in the church today. And here's why. Because statistics show, even not even across America, but even in this church, that the people who have the least give the most. Some of us are waiting to hit the lotto before we give to God. We're waiting to get rich. But over 75% of people who hit the lottery are broken the first two years. Yeah, that's crazy. You win $300 million, broke in two years. Wow. Wow. This lie that if I had more, I would give more. God, if you would just give me more, I would bless more people. But God says, if you can't bless who's around you with what you have now, why would I give you more to waste on yourself while you say, God, if I had more, I would give more. There was this missionary in Southern America, and he, he was leading a bunch of people in this community to Christ, and he led this one man, and his name was Pablo, and, and he led Pablo. Somebody say Pablo, amen. He led Pablo to Jesus, and he says, Pablo, if you, I'm going to say in Spanish, Pablo, if you had, if, <laughs> if you had, if you had a hundred cattle, would you give 50 for the work of Jesus? And he said, of course I would. He said, that's good. He said, he said, Pablo, if you had 50 sheep, 50 sheep, would you give, would you give 25 for the work of the gospel? And Pablo, full of, of Pablo, excuse me, full of just like, you know, this new faith in God. Anybody ever had that new faith in God, that brand new faith where you think God can do anything so you drive your car on E to New York, amen, and, and God can do anything and you're just like, God can do it. And Pablo's like, yes, sir, I, could, I would give those sheep in a heartbeat. And he says, Pablo, if you had two pigs, would you give one to God? And he said, that's not fair. Why? Because you know I have just two sheep. Oh, by the pigs, excuse me. He says, you know I have two. Why would you ask me for one? And this is how many of us are. We're generous in theory, but in practice, it's another thing. I just, I just hit somebody in the gut. Amen. Just, we're generous. Like, I would, yeah, I would do it. Yeah. Oh, I only have a dollar. I only, I only have $10. I only have, we're generous in theory, but in practice. Truth be told, this is how many of us are when it comes to giving. I, I even myself have often said, man, God, if I had more, and don't get me wrong, I tithe, I give my offerings, but even I said, if I had more, I would give more. And God said, well, you won't get more unless you give more. There's that scripture that always nags in my mind, and I heard it from a rich man, and he said, Lewis, he said, listen, he said, God gives seed to the sowers. Those who sow get the seed. It's just like, man, 
It makes so much sense. But even myself, I've caught myself in that lie. Well, if I had more, I would give more. The spirit of generosity has been in the church since the beginning. The book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 44. Listen to this. And they said, and all those who had believed, that's Christians, they were together and they had all things. Somebody say all things in common. Verse 45, and they began selling their property and their possessions, and they were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. I'm talking a real spirit of generosity that gripped the early church. The spirit of grace, the spirit of, of we got something we don't even deserve, so I should give something people don't deserve. A real spirit of generosity gripped the early church. They were literally selling their homes and selling their land and selling farms and vineyards and selling stuff. They were probably selling their animals and whatever they had. If they knew that someone had a need, they were selling stuff off to meet the need. I heard a story of this, this preacher. I can't remember his name, a well-known preacher. And he was in the midst of a camp meeting. And he went to a big camp meeting. And the pastor who was the pastor of the church where he was visiting before he preached, she got up and she said, she said to the congregation, she said, listen, listen, we received a message from one of our, our sister churches in Chile, or Chile, however you say it, and, and they need $5,000. They need $5,000 to be able to do a certain thing. I think it was build something or something of the sort. And she looks to the missionary or to the evangelist of the hour and he said, would you come up and would you pray that God would send them $5,000? And so the, the guy, he got up, he got right up to the pulpit and he took the mic and he says, I will not pray for God to send them $5,000. Now you got to admit, that's pretty, that's pretty, he got some, he got some on him to be able to just sit there. I'm not going to pray after the pastor just asked you to pray. And he said these words that are so powerful. He says, I believe that God has brought the need to this house to be met here and now. He took his wallet, emptied out all the money he had, like 40 something dollars and a couple of cents in his pocket. And he puts it on the pulpit and he says, we can either pray for it or meet the need ourselves. And the pastor looked at him just in shock. She had about $14 in her purse. And she walks up and she goes and gets her $14 and puts it down. And little by little, people from the congregation began to say, would you believe by the end of it, they raised well over $5,000? Pastor, what are you saying? That oftentimes we pray for what God's commanding us to do. Oftentimes you'll pray for what God is commanding you to do. For us as a church to meet the need of others. But we have a poverty mentality, not a giving mentality. What does it mean to give in church? We hear that a lot. We hear that a lot. Give in church. We see, we take tithes and offering in church at the end of service. What what does all that mean? What does that mean? Well, first of all, we don't give to receive. But when we give, we happen to receive. Amen. Make that known today. I don't encourage you to give because God's going to make you rich, but I encourage you to give in order to honor God with our wealth. I encourage you to give to honor God as the head of your life. We look all throughout Scripture, and from the beginning, we see offerings made and brought to God. We see a man named Abel who would be killed by his brother later on in Scripture, and he brought an offering before God that God accepted. Somebody say he gave. 
We look at Abram, a man who he, he gave his first tithe, and he gave a tithe to a priest named Melchizedek. A tithe, you might hear that word a lot in church, it simply means a tenth. Solomon says that you should honor the Lord your God with a tithe, with the first fruits of your wealth. It was in the law of Moses that all the children of Israel would begin to tithe to God and give a tenth of their wealth. That's why Christians who, who, who believe in these principles and these scriptures, when your payday comes, 10% goes to God. We don't pay tithes, we give tithes. And some would say, but it was, the law, it was the law of Moses. I don't have to do that. But no, 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 no. The book of Genesis clearly tells us that Abraham tithed first. He brought forth the principle of the tithe. He brought forth the tithe. And Paul says that Jesus is a priest of the order of Melchizedek, not Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother. They were the ones that God gave the Mosaic law to. And so we tithe not out of obligation. We don't tithe because we think it's, 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 we don't, God's going to send us to hell. We tithe in order to bless God and to put God first in the most important thing in your life. And this is, this is funny. Many people won't admit this, that oftentimes money is the most important thing in your life. Money is the most important thing in our life sometimes. And when we say, God, I'll give you the first 10%, God, I'll give you that. That is showing God that he's first in our lives. Do you realize that? I know what this sounds like. (laughs) Some of our visitors are saying, typical church. They just want your money. Come, to, come next week. <laughs> Talking about relationship with God. Amen. You caught me in an awkward week here. <laughs> but we have this, and I, I know why, because many of us have been to churches where they'll take two and three and four offerings. And I'm against that. Because as a church, if you can't believe God to meet the needs of the church in the first offering, then you ain't got no faith you're taking two and three more. I went to one church. It's a true story. I was preaching at this church, and <laughs> they took an offering, and our church was there, like 35 to 40 people deep, and our church gave. And one thing I always taught my church is you give your best the first time around. You give your best the first time around. And so we gave our best. We didn't expect the second offering. And the second and third offering comes, and the pastor, he leans over to me and says, Burgos, you got to teach your people how to give. <laughs> I said, no, sir, we give our best on the first go around. We don't hold on to the extra five because we know you're coming back out. I'm t- I never went back to preach over there. But my point is, is that we, we, we've, we've all seen that. We've all been a part of that. I just need 20 more people to give me 10 more dollars. And it gives many people a bad taste in our mouth when it comes to money, when it comes to church. But I want to promise you something, that tithing is the greatest principle after grace that I've learned in my life. Because it has put God first in my finances. It's put God first. And here's the thing about tithing. Tithing breaks the curse. Malachi chapter 3 says this. He says, if you would tithe, verse 10, if you would tithe, I will rebuke the devourer on your behalf. Meaning I will rebuke the enemy. Have you ever, have you ever had like a paycheck lined up that was going to go into savings and for some reason it didn't make it? 
Every other problem arose. I know I'm talking to somebody today. Every problem arose in the way. Every need, every concern, a flat tire. Maybe your muffler dropped. You have a Honda. Amen. Maybe something happened with something in your life. Something broke. Something happened. You got to buy something. Pants ripped. Anything. You gained two pounds. Whatever it was. And we don't realize that oftentimes the devourer is is talking about Satan. It's talking about the spirit that is over our money that causes us not not to be able to manage it correctly. The devourer that comes over in those times, it was talking about the fields or the pestilence, the, the, the plagues that would come over the land and the locusts that would come and eat the land up and different seasons, different things would happen. And God says, I will rebuke the devourer over your life. I will rebuke it. I'll rebuke that devourer. Do, do you not realize that is an awesome promise? That if I put God first in what I earn, that God will then rebuke the enemy from stealing what I've earned hard work for? That if I put God first in my money, that God will make everything else fall into place? See, this is the problem many Christians, is God is first in every area. We'll wake up early to pray. You'll stay up late to read the word. You're here bright and early Sunday mornings, but in our wallets, we are God. Tithing breaks the curse, and here's the, here's the beauty of it. Here's the beauty of it. Tithing is not seed. You don't sow with tithing. I'm so sorry to tell somebody today. You don't sow with tithing. That's not what you sow with. Tithing is God's. So suppose this. Suppose I said to Manny, I said, Manny, I need you to give me a ride to the airport because I am going to go out of town for a couple of weeks and I just need a ride. And he says, all right, pastor, I mean, you can use my car because it has more room. It's better. It's this, it's that. Great. In the course of time, Manny's driving me to the airport. He goes, hey, pastor, pastor. My car broke down. Would you mind if I borrowed your truck while you're on vacation? And I look at him and I say, Manny, that is no problem. I love you. You work hard for me. I appreciate you. Just take care of my baby or I'm going to have to kill you. And so I drop him off and I leave my car in his care. I come back off vacation. Manny picks me up and we're driving back from New York and he says, Pastor, the Lord put something upon my heart. All right. He told me to get you a gift. Okay. He pulls over, side of the road, rest stop by exit nine at that new McDonald's they're building. He takes the keys out the ignition and he says, this is yours. But Manny, it's already my car. You can't give me what's already mine. And God says in the book of Malachi, he says in chapter 3, he says, the tithe belongs to me. Could you imagine if you asked your landlord for a blessing for paying your rent? That sounds crazy. But doesn't it? It just sounds nuts. What if I, well, you know what? I deserve a gift for giving you this. No, no, no. That's in the contract. And here's the beauty of God, that God says this. He says, if you give me 10, you can keep 90. And I bless the 90 because you're 100% can't go further than me in 90%. And many of us, we think that God is going to bless us strictly based off the tithe. And, and here's the thing. He'll rebuke the devourer, but offering is seed. That's where you have tithes and offering. You see, when Paul says be generous, he's not talking about the tithe. He says 
give more than what is expected. What was expected of the early church was the tithe. He says, give an offering with it. Are you here with me today? This has been the single thing that has taken my life from trusting in anything else to trusting in God. You have to choose to be a giver. You have to choose to be a giver. We talked about it many times that many people come to church deciding whether or not they're going to give at the point of offering. But I've made a decision many years ago to be a giver, and that's what givers do. They give. If your car didn't drive, it has a problem. Amen? If your phone doesn't call out, you probably ain't pay the bill, but it might have a problem. If your screw gun doesn't, well, that's not a bad example. So, well, maybe if your screw gun doesn't put screws in, let's say, and something's not right with it, it's got a problem. You hear with me today? If a giver doesn't give, it's got a problem. I made a choice to be a giver before the Lord. I spent a lifetime learning what it means to give. I saw my father give to God in many ways. I saw him give from his poverty, from his place of need. I saw dad sow repeatedly over and over. I saw them give food to the needy, money to ministries across the world. And in turn, I saw God provide for my family. In turn, I saw God take care of my father. The first step today is to say, you know what? I have to make a decision to be a giver because if you don't do that, what I'm going to say next matters nothing to you. I have to make a decision to be a giver before the Lord. I have to be a giver before God. Giving is an act of grace. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 6, So we urge you, Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring to completion this act of grace on your part. When we give, it's an act of grace to God. When we give, it's showing God that we're putting him first in our lives, first in our finances, first in our families. Corey Tin Boone, a Holocaust survivor and a famous Christian of the uh, 1945 to 1960 era, a great speaker, public speaker, great woman of God, she says this, she says, anything I have ever held in my hands, I have lost, but everything I place in his hands, I still possess. Anything I've held in my hand, I've lost, but anything I've placed in his hands, I still possess. Tithing and offering. The word tithe simply means a tenth. If you're new to church, that's what it means. It means a tenth. We sometimes we say these words like people know what they mean. It just means a tenth. And so what we do as Christians, when our checks come in, 10%, the first 10%, we give it right to God. So we honor God with our wealth. We honor God with what we have, with our increase. And God blesses the other 90%. That's point number one, choose to be a giver. Here's point number two, be strategic and not spontaneous about your giving. Second Corinthians says this, verse nine, chapter nine, verse six, whoever sows sparingly will also reap, somebody say sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap, somebody say generously. And each of you should give what you have decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, no auction offerings, for God loves a cheerful giver. Paul speaks to this church in Corinth and he's like, listen guys, I know you're preparing to raise an offering. I know you guys are putting an offering together, but whoever gives sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. Whoever gives bountifully, you will reap bountifully. Whoever gives a little is going to receive, somebody say, a little. But whoever sows a lot will receive a lot. Many of us spend our days fearful of sowing. 
anywhere because we're afraid to lack in our own lives. The number one hindrance to giving is we're afraid to lack in our own life. What you don't realize is a seed that is not sown will eventually die in your hands. Just like Corey Ten Boone said, anything I've held has died in my hand, but anything I've sown, God still possesses. Seeds were meant to be sown. And he says, anything you sow will reap a mighty harvest. Many of us have a scarcity mentality. We refuse to sow seed because we always think we don't have enough. And eventually, our money goes to nothing, even in our own possessions. Every year, a farmer goes out and he turns the ground in his soil and he pours in seed. And understand this, that the harvest that he gives or rather it receives, is in relationship to the seeds that he sows. If he goes out there and puts one seed per inch, he's not going to have much of a harvest. But when he goes out there, he goes and pours thousands of seed, and he pours here, and he throws here, and he throws there, and he puts seed across the entire thing. It kind of brings me to remembrance of my, my own brother. My brother is a fanatic about his grass. And the whole band said, amen. My brother has that kind of like HGTV grass. My brother's grass looks like you always just cut a piece of sod and you put it at his house fresh. It just looks good. If I was in his neighborhood, I wouldn't want to have grass. I would pave my entire front lawn because there's no competing with Ruben's grass. No, you don't understand. Go check it out. I don't want to give you his address. Whatever, 165 Dogwood. Go check it out. He's got the best grass. And when my brother first moved in there, a couple of guys went and they helped him. They cleaned the leaves out of the area. And then once it was time, Reuben, he tore up the ground and sowed a bunch of seed. And then he waited. And every day faithfully, even now, he goes out there and he waters the grass. Back then, he was watering dirt and seed. Just water it and water it and water it. And he would water it. Somebody say, water it. And then the grass came. Great grass. Lush grass. The grass every homeowner should want. I think the neighbor across the street was having a grass competition. And he would go out there and see Reuben doing his... And then he would come out and I'd be like, Reuben, is he trying to give you competition over there? True story. True story. But Reuben didn't say he was poisoning the other guy's grass at night. I'm just kidding. That's, not a, that's a joke. And Reuben had this really good grass. And last winter, someone was driving to his house and said, Wow, Reuben, if you ever needed to give some directions to your house, all you have to say is, I live at the house with the good grass. I live at the house with the good grass green grass. You see, during the change of season when everyone else's grass was dying and everyone else's grass was a hot mess and everyone else's grass was just like non-existent, Reuben's was still alive and it was still flourishing and it was still growing because he took time to sow the proper amount of seed and then take care of it. The principle goes over to our giving in church is when we give consistently and not spontaneously. Because if Reuben just dropped seed once and watered it once, there would not have been the harvest that he received. But when we give consistently and not spontaneously, God 
will reap a harvest in your life. And God will bless your life. Galatians 6, 7, Paul says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. And the seeds you sow strategically and intentionally, church, and consistently, those are the seeds that would reap a harvest. You know, as a pastor, I told you before, one of the toughest things to preach on is giving because many times people come into church with that preconceived notion of what giving is about. They think, oh, the church just wants your money. And it's not just about the church needing or wanting your money. It's a matter of putting your own house in spiritual order. But many times well, we rather not put our house in order and point at somebody else. And I know that many times we get weary when it comes to giving, but I want to encourage you that when you give to God, he becomes first in your life. And Paul says this, command those who are rich. And we all decided a couple weeks ago, according to statistics, we are rich. He says, give generously. Be generous in your giving towards God and towards others. Be generous. Here's my last point, number three. When we give, God gets the glory. I got a really good scripture for you if you don't like giving. This is a really good scripture for you. 2 Corinthians 9, 10. One of my favorite scriptures that I go to. And here's the thing. I'm not telling you to do something I don't practice myself. I give as generously as I could possibly afford because I know that God has a purpose for my life. And I don't want to depend on anything but God. And when I give, only God gets the glory. 2 Corinthians 9, 10. Paul says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing, and he will increase your harvest. Somebody need to raise your job? Start giving to God. He will increase your harvest and your righteousness, and you will be made rich in every way. See, we want to get rich in money, but God will make you rich in spirit. He'll make you rich in relationships. He'll make you rich in your marriage. He'll make you rich with good kids. He'll make you rich with a house of your own. He'll make you rich with your cars paid off. He'll make you rich when you're debt free. God will make you rich in every way. Some of you are looking for a good job and that's all you want. But God says, I can make you rich in every way if you would put me first. I can make you rich in every aspect of your life. Every aspect. On your job, in your family, in your marriage, in your children. But that's not even my main point. Anyways, I'm going to keep on reading. He will make you rich in every way to be generous in every way. God makes you rich, right, in every way to be generous in every way. What does that mean? That the more God gives me, the more he expects me to give to others. The more God gives to me, the more I give back to him. The more God gives to me, the more tithe I bring into the house. The more offering I bring into the church. Because God says that he's going to give it to me to be able to give back to him and to give to others. But my favorite part, my Jesus, my favorite part. If you have your little iPhone Bible, you should just take your finger and slide it. Let that highlight. You should just... Which through us, which through us, who's us? It's the church, it's the church, it's the church. Through us will bring thanksgiving to God. Wow. I'll close with this. Which through us will produce, somebody say produce, thanksgiving to God. You know, I I stood for a moment 
I just pondered this verse. I pondered this last section. I said to myself, Lord, what are you really trying to say through this section? And when you read this last little verse, which through us, God will produce, or rather thanksgiving will reproduce towards God. Do you realize that when you give, you fund the kingdom of heaven? Do you realize if you're a faithful giver in this church that you're responsible for the souls that are getting saved to this ministry? Do you realize you're going to get to heaven and because of the giving that we had here on earth that God's going to say, you know, this person made it to heaven and that person heard the gospel. And you know what? You might have only given this much, but you know what? You helped keep the website up and this helped a thousand people listen to the gospel last month. And this helped this and this helped that. And you don't understand the impact you're having. And you see it that somebody wants you to put your money in a plate. But what it really means is this, is that you can reach the people for Jesus Christ. Some of you will never, ever preach behind the pulpit, but some of you can give your way to saving a soul it'll bring thanksgiving to God that people will say man I'm so glad that you gave if it was not for you I wouldn't have made it to the pearly gates of heaven if it was not for you I wouldn't have been able to do it but thank God you gave thank God you gave there was this song they sang at my father's funeral and it's this really old song. And it's, just, it's a song of thanksgiving. It says, thank you for giving to the Lord. For I am the life that was saved. And it's a song that walks you through all these different scenarios. And as the person walks through the streets of heaven, people walk up to them. And because you gave your life and of your finances and of your household, because you gave, I was saved to this person who you saved. And then this person saved that person and this person. And all these people in this song come up to you. And I remember hearing that at my dad's funeral in church. This is what it means when it says through us, through the church, we will produce thanksgiving to God. Through the church. Can I tell you something? The state should not be helping our community. The church should. It should not be us leaning on the government. We should be able to lean on the house of God. It's not about what others get from the state. You know, can I tell you the truth? Welfare can't save you. Obamacare can't save you. Nothing can save you. But if we get people plugged into the church, come on. They shouldn't have to go anywhere else for diaper banks. They should be able to come to the house of God for food. They should be able to come to the house of God for clothes. But we can't because Christians don't give. That's the truth. Here's the proverbial truth. In most churches across America, 20% of the congregation carry 80% of the costs. If I told you, if I told you the things that we had to endure as a church, you have no idea. I was telling somebody just the other day, I said, listen, I said, we were talking about Bassett High School, what we were doing here, and what God is doing a mighty work here, amen? He's doing a mighty, just, just a year ago, we were a hundred less people, come on. Just one year ago. We average, on average, anywhere from 65 to 85 kids every Sunday in our gymnasium, worshiping God. We've gone as high as 95 and 120, come on. We've seen God do such amazing things. Easter service, we had 960 people come to our service. I mean, I'm talking about God is moving. And here's the thing. I was telling this young man, I said, I said, well, Bassick, every, every, 
Every three months, Bassett cost the church just under $12,000. I put it into perspective for him. I said, for 60 hours, we pay $12,000. For 60 hours. The cost of saving souls is not cheap. But can I tell you something? If you've been one of those ones who joined us in this last year, I'll spend it all over again for you. Because every person has been worth it. Every person has been worth it. There's a cost to functioning the kingdom. There's a cost to it. And the church should be the, the church, I'm, t- church, I'm telling you, the church should be the ones who are answering the call of the hurting and the broken. The church should be the ones answering the call of the single mothers across our city. That should be the church. The ones who are hurting and can't make rent. The ones who deserve Section 8 but can't get it because other folks are stealing it. That's worth clapping for. I'm just... (laughs) The church, the church should be able to do that. But I want to free you from your poverty mentality that says you can't give because you don't have. We don't give because we trust more in that 10% than God's 100%. He says, be generous, be generous, be generous. My dog, my dad rather, my dog. (laughs) He is my road dog. (laughs) My father taught me so many things in life. I had like the greatest dad ever. No offense to none of you fathers. I bet some of you are spectacular dads, but... My dad was like superstar, not because he was a pastor, but just because of who he was. And among the things that he taught me of the most important things that dad taught me, he said this, he taught me to be a giver because when I put God first in every area of my life, he'll bless every area of my life. And then he didn't go on to tell me it. He went on to do it and show me he would give, my, my dad would give recklessly to God. He would what you call a reckless giver. He would promise money he didn't have. <laughs> no, I'm serious. It's not even funny because we didn't know how we were going to get it. And we all knew we were going to eat now. I'm <laughs> just kidding. But he went to one Shambach tent meeting in New York City and then he pledged $1,000. Didn't even have $1,000. I mean, when my dad died, he was making just over $12,000 a year. Because he chose to run the church over anything else. You understand what I'm saying to you? He was able to raise four kids. He was able to raise a family with, with what God had put in his hands. Because he was a giver. And God took care of him. If your provisions don't bring praise to God, it'll bring pride to your heart. It brings pride to your heart. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be that person that says, I I gave before God. I really believe with all my heart that this church can be a church that meets the needs of people in our community. One of my my biggest dreams is to to build a youth center at some point in this history of this church. Amen. Where the neighborhood of kids can come in and... And and they can come in and, and hear about God and they can just... Maybe just play in the gymnasium and go to get after school help, whatever that looks like. I've dreamed of that even since I was a little boy. 
But none of these things that we dream that God puts in our hearts can be done lest we do our part. And today I want to tell you as, as, your, as your pastor that part of your part is to be a giver in the house. It's not enough just to come in and receive all the time. But God desires for us to be givers so that we don't trust more in what we have than God. I want to be able to say we trusted God as a church and we moved mountains in Bridgeport. I often hear, hear people joke around and say something like, we need rich people in our church. Or we need some Fairfield people. Or we need some this people. I don't want to start getting cultural. We need some white people. I'm just like, we don't need nothing of that. We don't need, we, if they come, God bless them. But what we need is the people who we currently have. No, no, no. To, to open up their minds to understand that when I do my best, God does more than his best. Come on, we should have a vision of a church standing up through strategic times that we're intentional in our giving, consistent in our giving, and we'll begin to see God move. I'll tell you one thing. It's when the whole church begins to start giving, that's when we're going to start saying, hey, you know what? It's time to build our own church. It's when the church gives that that happens. Until then, until then, I promise you, until then, we're just going to be in that maintenance mentality. We just have to maintain where we're at. But I'm challenging you. I really want to lay forth a gauntlet for some of y'all. I want to challenge you for the minimum of the next six months to say, you know what? I'm going to put God first in my house. I want to put him first in my finances. Some of you might need apartments. You might need new jobs. You might need something. You have to put God first in the little you have. You might say, but I don't have enough. I hear this a lot. I can't afford to tie. You can't afford not to. Because there is a devourer over your household when it comes to finances. And if it wasn't so, then you wouldn't have the problem you have now. It's not because we don't have. It's because we don't give. He says, I give seed. God refers to money as seed. Money, money to us has become something great and grand. But money to God is simply a tool. That's all it is. It's a tool. It's a tool. And if we learn and we say, you know what, I want to for the next six months, I'm going to put God first. Malachi 3 is one of the greatest scriptures to me because it says, if I put him first, he says, he says, you can test me. This is the only place in scripture where God says to test him. You ever notice that? The only place God says to test him, the only place is in your giving. Because the Bible says that where your treasure is, your heart is. And God knows that if you don't give, it's because you treasure it. And that means your heart is there and not with him. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You're going to serve God or you're going to serve money. And when we don't give of our money, God becomes second. Money becomes first. And he says, if you give to God, if you do that, this is God talking about himself in the third person. If you give to me. He says, watch and see if I don't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing you couldn't even contain. I know what this sounds, trust me, I know what this sounds like. This sounds like short pastor saying, give me your money. I know, but it sounds like this. It sounds like a pastor who has your best interest at heart saying, I want you to be blessed and not broke. I want you to be able to have seed to live off of and not just always be in need all the time. 
This is little pastors saying, no, no, no. I've done this with my own family. And I see God moving in my own family. I give, I give, I give, I give. You know, my daughter needed clothes. And, and, and I had a choice. I'm telling you the truth. I had a choice. And I'm not telling you this for glory. I'm telling you this for example and for illustration. Amen. And I had a little bit of money. And a little bit of money here and a little bit of money. I said, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. I said, honey, this week I'm giving extra in the offering. And take this little bit, and I want you to go shopping for the baby. So she took, and she got what she can get. And we were thankful for what she got. And it was amazing. It was awesome. I'm telling you for pity. It was great. She caught some great sales at Grandma, and Grandma and her went and just tore it all up all day in the mall and everything else. And they had a great time because baby clothes are expensive, apparently. But here's the beauty of it. That night, I dropped my mother-in-law off home. And one of my favorite aunts, Maria, she moved next door to my mother-in-law. So now I can kill two birds with one stone. And so I go over and I knock on Titi's door. And, and, and she had told me she had bought my daughter some clothes. And she didn't know how much we really needed it. Come on. Come on. And, and here's the thing. And she didn't buy her one or two things. She bought her a bag of stuff. A bunch of stuff. Because when you put God, man, when you put God first... You can't outgive God. You can't do it. He says, if you put me first, we wait and see if I don't just pour out heaven on you. And that sound, I know what it sounds like. I'm telling you, I know. Because when I was your age and I was acting like y'all and I was, you know, younger like y'all, some of y'all, amen. And I was older like some of y'all. I know it just sounds like give me your money. But what it sounds like is this to me is when I put God first, everything falls into place. Everything. And there'll be weeks where you're going to say, you know, because some of you today say, I'll do it. Pastor, I'll put them first. But there'll be weeks where you think you can't. I want to challenge you that in those weeks where you think you can't, when you think you can't, those are the weeks you need to the most and see God's deliverance come through in your life. You see God work through you the most in your life when God sees that you gave out of your necessity. My last story is Jesus. He's, He's standing in the temple area. And the Bible says he's watching what everyone is giving. Today that would be frowned upon if somebody's watching what you're giving. It's between me and God. But anyways, Jesus, God, is watching what everyone's giving. And this little widow, many of you know the story, this little widow comes up and she puts the equivalent of what's two pennies. And Jesus, he gets excited. He calls his little crew. He does does their gang call, cuckoo! And... that's not in the scripture. That's just Pastor Lewis's version. And they all come in, and Peter's like, he comes running up, and then he comes, and he huddles up, and Jesus is like, dude, did you see what happened? And they're like, well, we were watching, but what happened? He said, who gave the most? And they're like, well, we don't know. That widow gave the most. And they're thinking, she only put two pennies in. She only put a little bit in. But Jesus says, no, but she gave everything she had. What does that mean? Is that we shouldn't give in relationship to what's left over. We should give in relationship to what God commands us to. Here's the thing. There's been points even in my own life. I'm not making this up. I promise you. Where I had something that I had to do financially. And I only had like a portion of the money. A small portion. And I said to myself, I can't meet the need that I have with this small portion. I might as well just give it to God and see what he can do with that small portion. And there's been times in my life. I'm not even kidding you. Where where money has just literally been 
broken into my house and people put it on my bed. <laughs> it's been times when I'm serious where God just like blessings would come in here or there. And I'm just like, whoa, God, you really met the need. I was just kidding. I was just, it was a joke. I just, but when you test God and you're giving, here's the beauty of that scripture. Here's the beauty of it. God says, test me. He says, test me. Amen. How many want to test God? Here's the thing. Here's the thing I know about God. Here's the thing I know about God. He has never failed the test he's faced. God has never failed a test. This is like a sure thing. This is so encouraging to me when he says, test me. Okay. This is like Michael Jordan saying to me, how many championships do I have? I'm like, I don't know, Michael, how many do you have? He's like, test me. He's going to know the answer. He's God. He says, if you test me, watch what happens. Watch what happens. I'm going to pray over every single one of you who commit to this to say, you know what? I pray that you have a watch what happens moment in your life. I pray that you have one of those suddenly moments where God moves in your life. I pray that as you give faithfully in your life, that God promotes you at your job, that God gives you new opportunities in your home, in your marriages, in your relationships, that as you put God first, even in your giving, that God takes over. I made it so easy for me and my family. I give online. It's automatic every week. I just give online. Because what's important to me, I made it, I made it automatic. Amen. There's no, there's no question in my household what's going to As for me and my house, we're going to serve God every way he tells me to. I automate the important things in my life. Except for dinner. Amen, honey. Come on, stand with me right now. Shots fired. Amen. Amen. Come on, I believe with all my heart. I believe with all my heart. What the word says. So number one, you had to choose to be a giver. Amen. Number one, you got to choose to be a giver. And say, you know, I am going to be a giver in the house of God. Number two is you give strategically, not spontaneously. Be strategic in how you give. One of the ways you can be strategic is this Christmas, we're taking that special offering. We're trying to buy that trailer. The second one is we have dozens of people in our church who need to be baptized, but the cost of renting baptismal churches is getting way too high, and we're going to buy a portable baptistry that we can baptize our own people right here at Bassett High School. We're putting the needs of the people and the church before the people, amen? Be strategic in how you give. Don't be spontaneous. And here's the third one. When you give, God gets glory. For all those of you who are givers in this church, I want to applaud you. And not for recognition or not for accolades, but to say this, souls are being changed because of you. Did you know? Did you know that every 30 days, over 1,300 people visit our website to listen to sermons? 1,300 on average every 30 days. Come on, you're funding the kingdom across America. Come on, we have listeners as far as Florida, some in Texas. We got them all over the place. Come on, God is moving through our giving, our generosity. And Paul says this, that God will be thanked because of us. But that means that we don't need the glory. That God can take the glory for what we're doing in our lives. Come on, every head, body, every eye closed. We just thank you, Lord, for your word today.
we just thank you, Lord. You know, Lord, you've never in Scripture told us to test you except when it comes to trusting you with our giving. So, Father, I pray that you would touch every heart today. That, Lord, you would begin to be first in our finances, God. If we believe we're rich, God, and, and we believe what Paul said, that we should be giving generously, that means to give above and beyond what's expected of us. God, I pray that you would show our hearts what you called us to do in terms of our giving. Come on, I want to challenge the church right now that for the next six months we're going to say, you know what, Pastor, I'm going to test God. I'm going to give my best. I'll do my best. Because I know that in my house there'll be no lack when I test God. Come on, if that's you, you raise your hand right now. Come on, we're going to serve the Lord in that aspect. We're testing God. We're testing God. We're saying, you know what, God, I'm putting you first. Come on, amen, amen, amen. I'll put you first in everything in my life. Come on, maybe your hand's not up today, but you need prayer over a financial situation in your life. Maybe you need something. Maybe you need a breakthrough. Maybe you need stewardship classes. Whatever you might need, you need a touch from God. Maybe you need a promotion at your job. Maybe you just, things are not adding up the way they're, they're, they're coming into your life, but you need something extra from God. Come on, if that's you, lift your hand up as high as you can. And say, you know what, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put my trust in you. I'm putting my trust in you. Dear Heavenly Father, you see every hand that is raised. You see every need in the house. You see every person saying, I'm going to commit to putting God first in every area of my life. I'm going to put God first from beginning to the end. Not just in my word. I'm not going to be generous in theory, but I'll do it with my actions. That, Lord, I would bring thanksgiving to you for the things that you've done through our church. That I'll bring thanksgiving to you, God, for all the glory of your heart that you pour upon my life. You see every need, Lord God. I pray, God, that you begin to supernaturally meet every need in this house. Lord, that some who give money, you'll heal their marriage in return. God, that some who give money, you'll heal their household in return. God, that some who would give money, God, we don't always receive money back, God, but you will receive spiritual growth in this church, God. Numerical growth in our church, God. God, I believe that someday we'll be walking into our own building, God. We'll be laying down the foundations to the place that you provided for us, God. Because the church stood up and said, we're going to be givers in this house. Father, I pray that you would touch hearts and you would touch minds. In Jesus' name. Come on, if you believe it, lift your hands up with all your heart. We're going to worship him for a few minutes here. If you believe it and you need a, a, just a breakthrough in your finances, I want you to declare it right now. I know you're coming through in my behalf, God. Come on. I know you're coming through in my behalf, God. I know you're coming through, God, because I'm going to be faithful to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, the church shouts amen.